Hey strangers, today's episode features my chat with Stranger Things Season 3 costume designer Amy Paris. She spoke with us from her apartment in Los Angeles via Skype. I was thrilled that she agreed to be on the podcast. She's an amazing designer and a lovely human. Enjoy this conversation, and as always, stay strange. Hey, this is Amy Paris, and I'm the costume designer for Stranger Things. You're listening to the Upside Down Podcast. Hey, this is Ash. So nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled that you're going to be on the podcast today. Your costume designs have really inspired a lot of the fandom, and I'm thrilled that you agreed to be on the show. I'm thrilled that they're inspired by it. I think that's so amazing. So let's go ahead and get started. You know, your designs are really interesting, and a lot of that is just due to the nature of the show that you're currently working on. We'll go into all of that throughout the chat, but what made you decide that you wanted to become a costume designer? You know, I've always I loved sewing. I learned to sew from my grandmother when I was young. And in high school, I loved making my clothes and changing them up to be different. And I feel like the nice thing about being a costume designer is you get to tell a story of somebody through their clothing visually. So you get to read a script and decide what this person's into, what this person likes, how this person wants to portray themselves through their clothes. And to get to tell that story visually is something that I've just kind of always wanted to do. When you were a kid, were you one of those kids who used to like to take different pieces of clothing, like scarves, and just kind of make little outfits from them? Did you do anything like that when you were younger? Oh, yeah. I remember I had this hideous, like, neon orange, like, construction worker orange fabric that I made into a skirt, and I glued blue sequins on it. And this was, like, the (laughs) 90s in high school. So people were, I mean, I loved it, but I remember girls, the popular girls at school going like, what is that? You know? And that can be a time where it can either make or break you. And I think I was just like, I didn't care that they didn't like it. I just thought it was more funny that they were talking about it. So yeah, I was always changing my outfits or adding weird trim or sparkles or, you know, sequence to it just to make it my own style. So you've worked on some really amazing shows like Justified, which I am obsessed with, (laughs) Two Broke Girls, Masters of sex Westworld and of course the greatest show ever um, on the earth Stranger Things right how did you get the gig on Stranger Things how did that come about those other shows you know I've been in different positions on those other shows and Stranger Things of that list is the one I costume designed and I got that from my agent I actually was in Georgia we were shooting season one I was designing Insatiable for Netflix and my agent called and said hey there's another show that's going to happen right when you're done so if you just want to stay in Atlanta because I'm from Los Angeles if you just want to stay there and do this other their show, we can put you up for it. It's this show called Stranger Things. And I wanted to be like, yeah, I know the show. Of course I want to be put up for it. So I said, yes, please. You know, I'd love to. I kind of was like, maybe it's a shot in the dark, but I'd love to even try to get the job. And, you know, from one interview to another, I brought in boards and I talked to Ian Patterson, Sean Levy and the Duffer Brothers and Dan Cohen. And we all just had great conversations and I found out I got the job. Now, I know that when we talked to Amy Forsyth, who I'm sure you're familiar with, she was saying that, you know, she's from L.A. and she was a little um, tentative about coming to Atlanta because she just didn't know. She just didn't know the scene, what the film scene was like, what the crews were like. Now, you had a foot up because you just said you had already been working on Insatiable. But what is it like for you? Do you still do by coastal? Do you do L.A. and Atlanta or are you primarily based in Atlanta right now? During the current situation with our pandemic, I am in Los Angeles, but yeah, I can kind of just go anywhere, which is nice. I have an apartment in Los Angeles, but have been working in Atlanta. I think I've had four jobs there. And then right before season four, I finished a job in Chicago, which was great. So it's really fun to be able to travel and experience other cities. You often don't get to explore them as much as you want to if you were on vacation because you're often just working so much. But even the little glimpses of a city like Chicago or Atlanta, to get to experience it while you're working is more exciting because, you know, it's nice to go there outside of Los Angeles. Was this your first season working on Stranger Things? Season three was my first season with Stranger Things. You know, I, I am technically the fourth costume designer. We had uh, Kimberly Adams, Mal Gosia, and Kim Wilcox had all been seasons one and two designers. And they obviously set up a beautiful framework to work off of. So coming in and inheriting season three was an easy thing to do. Yeah, and I feel like you got a really fun season for wardrobe. I mean, not only do you have the Scoops Ahoy outfits and Erica and Dustin, but, you know, you really get to play around with Elle developing her style. Yeah. 
With all of the different looks that you had to do, you know, how far in advance does your team have to start planning your designs? Do you just get it script by script or do you get the whole series and you got to go through and how does that work? I will start with, you know, if we have a year and a season, so we knew it was going to be the summer of 1985, I can immediately start to do research with that. But until you have the scripts, you have the words on the page, you know, you can't really go as in depth with designing until you really know what they're trying to achieve. So once we have scripts, we still continue to do loads of research, which is really one of the best parts. And then we go out and we start to gather stock. We start to gather clothing from rental houses. We start to purchase from online, from vintage vendors, and we start to make closets for all the characters. And, you know, season three was so fun to get to do because, like you said, it's different. And so taking what I knew of the characters and what I can see them doing forward in 85 in the summer, we started to put together outfits and then we had fittings and it just kind of rolls from there. So how much collaboration is there between your costume department and the directors, i.e., you know, do they come at you with ideas or do they just give you the story and they just trust you as a professional to make the magic happen? It's super collaborative, which is what I love about, you know, Sean Levy and the Duffers. I feel like we all are trusting of each other, but often there's specifics in the script. And so I'll go by those. And sometimes I ask them, like, do you really mean you want it to be this thing? And sometimes I'll go, actually, no, we just kind of put that there. You can do it, but you can also show me something else, which is nice. You know, they really do value mine and the actor's opinions. So it's super collaborative. And, you know, sometimes it can be an idea from a fitting that an actor comes up with. And I can tell the duffers, like, you know, Millie really likes this idea or Caleb wants to wear this in this episode. And they're like, okay, you know, often it's really nice to have them say, what do you think? What do you and the actors think? And that can be rare sometimes. So that's what I really appreciate about the collaboration with them. How large is your team? I'm really curious. I know that you have to do a lot of work behind the scenes. You obviously have to make sure that each character has their own look and their own feel. But do you have to have folks, you know, on first unit or second unit making sure the look actually works? Or is it once the costume's made and they're out the door, it is what it is? Our team is rather large. I mean, I feel like we can be from 15 to 25 people depending on like what's shooting. But we do have, you know, a core group that I think is right now about 18 people. And, you know, Candace and Victor have been with us since season two, and they're on set to make sure that the clothes are looking the way I intended them to look. But, you know, throughout the process, I have assistant designers with me. I have shoppers that are helping me gather things, tailors that help me in the fittings to make sure it's tailored the way it should fit. And then ultimately, once it's on screen, you know, it doesn't just go away. It's like a chain of command starting with, you know, the script to us creating it, to it being built, to it being fit and tried on, to it being worn on camera, you know? And so within that, every person in the department kind of takes control and makes sure to carry this little like costume baby with them to make sure it's put on camera the right way. People that listen to the podcast will know that my daughter and I, she's our little mascot. We were lucky enough to be extras in season three. And, you know, when we got there, I obviously didn't have anything to wear. And so I had to go through five or six outfits until they found the one they wanted. But she came in and she was just wearing her little outfit and some space boots. And the costumer just took a little cell phone photo of her, sent it back and said the duffers like it. And I was curious with the extras, is that something that you do a lot where you'll take a picture of the extra? and each outfit and submit it over to get approval or was that just something maybe because it was she was in her own clothes it was probably specific to maybe the shot maybe we were going to see a lot of it with each extra they are approved by me but I don't typically send that to the duffers or the directors. They have so much going on already. If it's a very specific scene where, you know, the outfit needs to be specific to the words on the page, I'll send it. But I often don't send background. I just send the principal actors for fitting photos. Yeah, I was curious, how does your team prepare to have that large of a wardrobe? I mean, the day that I was there, we thought we were going to be, you know, with 300 extras and it ended up just being 10 people. And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I'm stressed. But how do you prepare when you know? ahead of time you know we're going to be shooting mall scenes where we have 300 people on hand of different shapes and sizes that are going to need a lot of clothes I mean how do you prepare for that when we walked into the tent and we saw all the clothes it was just like it was unbelievable how much you guys had on hand right it's a lot of gathering and it takes you know it's weeks before we even get to that scene that we're prepping so my shopper Caroline will be out she's at vintage stores or thrift stores gathering stock we might see that suddenly we're low 
on size, you know, 14 shoes or something. So she sometimes can have a difficult needle in a haystack to find, but she always finds it or she comes back with an option. You know, and if we have to in a pinch, we might use something modern, but usually we try to stick to vintage for sure. So a lot of the prep is gathering the stock so that we have it. And then we do pre-fits ahead of time. And it's often done at Screen Gems where we shoot when we're on stage. And so we do pre-fits. Last season, we had Abby Coyne, who was our key background fitter who did a fantastic job. This season, we have Blake Olmstead. And, you know, every person that comes in has a fitting with them or someone that's helping them as well. They try on a couple outfits. We take photos and they usually send it via text to me and we'll talk about it. You know, how are they comfortable? What looks best? I often might know before they know what the principals are wearing. So I might say, you know what, that outfit's too close to somebody else. So let's go with the first choice or maybe this is more flattering. Let's go with that outfit. Or I've seen too much green in a lot of pictures. Let's go with the blue one. So it's very collaborative in that regard, but we make sure that everybody from head to toe is dressed. You know, you don't want to have a a background actor in a modern pair of pants or, you know, the wrong shoe and then accidentally have the camera like zoom in on it. Uh, You know, it's just, there's so many people that can be on camera. You don't want to miss the opportunity to just get it right all the time. So head to toe, everyone gets a fitting. So after the pre-fits, we coordinate our supervisor, Shay Masterson, does a brilliant job of coordinating with locations and transpo, making sure that racks and racks of clothes get to where they need to be, whether it be the mall location or say it was the carnival. And then it's organized. Everybody's got a tag. Everyone's name is on it. So it all gets put in place. And then on the day, people come in, they know their bag, they know their name, they know their clothes. Yeah. And it becomes a system that everyone's used to. And it just happens in the morning. I mean, it takes a minute, but once it's done, everybody's dressed and ready to go. One of the things I thought was really interesting was, you know, when they were giving me my wardrobe, when I was done being dressed, I looked very seventies. I had on like a very flowy green skirt with like big pearls and this butterfly, um, you know, kind of embellishment. And Uh They were like, oh, well, yeah, because you're a mom in the 80s, so you probably wouldn't, you know, necessarily be hip and up to date. You would be wearing something that you wore a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it's not even something that would have crossed my mind. I just thought, wow, I look really 70s. And and I've always remembered that. I just thought they really pay attention to like the little details. It's it's fantastic. You know, we love to build backstories for people and maybe we're doing it in our heads and not vocalizing it. But you kind of go okay, this person's a little rough. Maybe they work outside. Maybe they're in construction. Maybe we give them boots, you know, or if this girl looks like a valley girl, you know, and she, you know, knowing her hair could be like permed and teased, you know, maybe she's great for this mall shopper. So you kind of build into, we start with the face and you kind of work from there and say like, well, who is this person? Even if you're making it up for them, it always helps to, you know, build an outfit around a, a kind of an idea of a person that way. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, how do you guys think about designing looks for example do you think of it as a whole group like I'm gonna think of maybe the core group of Mike 11 Will Lucas and Dustin or do you think about it in sections or do you think about it just character by character yeah it's kind of both I mean as you start prepping you get actors that are available for fittings you start to have fittings with them and as we put together you know our our photos for approval and we decide which outfit is in which scene we start to compile them as a group and make sure that you know there isn't too much of the same outfit next to each other or that somebody isn't also in stripes while the other person is in stripes but um you know you want it to look cohesive as a group because a lot of time this cast is together so for example when everybody meets up at the mall near the end of season three, you know, I think we did a good job of making sure there isn't too much of one pattern. There isn't too much of one color, but it's also not like here's every rainbow color, you know, it's just, you want it to kind of flow together nicely. So you kind of do it as you do fittings, as you meet actors, as you get casting, and then you compare it as a whole to make sure if you need to do any tweaks and move something to another episode or add a different color or change a jacket, then you do that looking at it as a whole, as a group. Now you probably need doubles of each set of wardrobe. For example, you know, I'm sure the primary cast like Elle would have multiples made because her pants are going to be ripped and things are going to be gouged in her legs. So that would be just created naturally. But how does it work 
when you're trying to create a vintage 1980s look, do you have to create this yourself or do you find multiple items when you're shopping, you know, at vintage stores or costume departments? Yeah, we definitely need multiples and it's rare to find vintage multiples out in the world. Luckily, I do have a few vendors that acquire dead stock that can offer multiples and those are just like gold to us. But, you know, a lot of what we were able to do last season with our talented super amazing wizard magician Taylor Casey Crespo is make a lot of stuff from scratch. So often we'd find a template or a sample that we liked and sort of tweak it to be the best version of the outfit. Or we would buy stuff that's new that looks vintage and then tweak it to fit even more vintage. For example, like Max's striped shirt that she wears under that purple hoodie, that cutoff hoodie. That is a modern shirt, but the sleeves were short and tight. And for her in the 80s, they would not have been that fit. So we took other shirt multiples, cut the shirts up for fabric and built sleeves that were longer and a little bit looser so that the silhouette would be more 80s. So you kind of want to tweak it so that if it is contemporary, you make it more vintage as much as possible. But you know, with the challenges of time and money, we can't build everything, unfortunately, as much as we would like to. It just isn't physically possible. So we try to mix as much as we can between the vintage and the contemporary. One of my favorite things is as a fan after the show comes out is when you see like all these teens create accounts that are basically what was Elle wearing or what was Priya wearing and they try to find examples of of originals like I know that there was a woman who posted a picture of herself as a kid and she just happened to have the same sweater that Erica was wearing in one of the episodes and I loved that Um, and you can always tell when something is an original piece because people cannot find it anywhere like I think it was one of the splattered shirts maybe Elle wore um And I felt like that has to be custom because nobody can find where it's from. So there was an original that's similar, you know, in the way that it had that great like back cut out and the pattern was similar, but we recreated that fabric. So we did need to build it because we needed so many. So we printed the fabric and then created and then built the shirt. So it was technically an original. I'm curious. We talked about it a little bit a couple of minutes ago, but how much input does the primary cast have in the look of their characters? You know, they can have a lot if they want it. Um, some actors come in and just say, whatever you want me to wear, I will do, which is also really nice. But it is fun to have that collaboration. And coming in as the fourth designer, I kind of did rely on the cast to tell me what felt right because they've been living this character for more than one season already. They're now in the third season. I didn't want them to have to like, re-explain everything to me because I'm sure they've done it. This is the fourth time. You know, it's like, here I am again. But once we got on that same page between all the actors, it was kind of like pretty seamless. So, you know, Millie, um, I relied on a lot to say like, how does this feel for Eleven? Because that was so new for both of us to say like, what does Eleven wear now? And, and what is she growing into? So I really relied on her opinion and she told me how things felt and what worked and what didn't and what she thought. And David also is really good about, you know, putting on the costume, letting us know how it feels, seeing what feels right, and then we collaborate from there. So they can have a lot of input if they want. Do your costume choices ever influence anything that happens in the show? And I'll give you an example I'm thinking about. You know, we're friends with Randy, ah. Mr. Clark, and you know, he has the magic scene where he's standing in front of the garage door, it opens, <laughs> and Joyce comes in, and he's got those goggles on. I don't even know what they're called, but he's using them to, you know, paint his crafts. Was that yeah. something that was in the script? Like, Mr. Clark will be in the garage painting, or did you guys say he needs to wear something like this, and then it kind of organically you know formed from there yeah that scene was written that he was in incredibly short shorts <laughs> so <laughs> I knew he had to do that and I knew I wanted you know high 80s you know crew socks and I don't think you can really you can barely tell but we found some that say USA on the back which seemed pretty appropriate especially for fourth of July but that goggle kind of headpiece is actually a prop from Matt Marks who was our prop master and okay. it is just perfect for it right I mean perfect for him painting miniatures in weird short shorts I mean, so there are specifics in the script that you get to like build off of. And that was definitely one of those occasions. I've noticed that there's a lot of nice little touches. You know, when you're watching the season at first, you just want to know what the story is. You just want to see what's going to happen from moment to moment. But when you go back and you rewatch it as a super fan, of course, I do a million times. I just have it on in the background while I'm like cooking. You start to notice things on rewatches. Like, for example, Mrs. Wheeler's, she had the, you know, uh, female empowerment necklace or 
Elle was wearing Max's scrunchie towards the end of one of the season. When you're making the designs, is that something that you're planning out or is it just kind of organically it happens as the scene is coming forward? I mean, I think Mrs. Wheeler is wearing that necklace when she's having that moment with Nancy where she's really telling her how to be a strong woman and it is just so appropriate. I was curious how that works. For sure. Karen Wheeler, um, Kara Bruno was one of my first fittings and she kind of let me know how she felt Karen Wheeler was feeling, you know, being a a woman that kind of has this wandering eye, loves her family, of course, loves Ted, but is a little bored. And so, you know, as a mother to Nancy, she's really trying to inspire Nancy, who's now working. And so, yeah, it's totally on purpose. But that conversation I had with Kara helped me notice it even more. And so as I was out looking at jewelry and shopping, it looked just like the perfect kind of Georgia O'Keeffe necklace. And then I think we found matching earrings. We didn't use them every time she wore the necklace, but it just felt really appropriate for this season. And I'm glad that you noticed it was it wasn't meant to be like, here, look at this, which is why things like that, those small details, we like to just put in and see if anyone does notice. Um, The girls with the scrunchie, I think that was from Millie and Sadie. I think they did that on the day that was nothing that was planned so that happened organically oh that's interesting yeah so has a cast member ever loved a piece so much that they wanted to keep it you know I think that initially they like it but you know this season it's what five to seven days as a as a story but we shoot it for months and so Imagine how those Scoops Ahoy uniforms must have felt for poor Joe and Maya. I mean, I think that the nostalgia of it is fun, but I don't think they actually want to see it in their closet anytime soon. So nobody has actually requested to take anything home. I think they know there's a season four. I feel like if there was anything that they actually wanted to have for nostalgic purposes, they would maybe take it later. I don't think they need to see it right now because they just wear it for so long. Yeah, I think as a super fan, we're just like, they must want to keep it all. But they're like, it's it's just my job. (laughs) Yeah, it's just my uniform. Right. They're like, I don't want to see that shirt again. Well, we like to open the Florida fan questions so that they can feel like they're interacting with you. And and we actually had a lot of questions for you that I felt were really great. So I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you a lot of them. Great. Thank you. So Octavia Johnson wants to know, what was your first big break for designing? I did a show on Fox called Making History. Uh, it was starring Adam Pally, Yasser Lester, and Leighton Meester. It's a simple comedy about time travel, which is really fun to get to do. But for TV, it's challenging because of the constraints of money and time. But we got into the 1890s, the 1990s. We were going to go to the 1970s. And then unfortunately, the show was uh, canceled early. So we did not finish the full season, but it aired to very little uh advertising and it didn't do very well. So unfortunately, from there, no one probably saw it, but it got me you know, in the door and it got me some bigger designing gigs after that. Homicidal Homemaker wants to know, what is the biggest challenge when it comes to creating an authentic 80s look on modern actors? Probably the silhouette, because, you know, the 80s had some really exaggerated sizes and shapes in the clothing. And when you put that on modern actors on a TV show in in this current time, you can look at it and go, what is that? And then get a bit distracted. You know, the way that the boys are in their really short shorts, we could have gone shorter. There are photos of boys in really short shorts from the 80s, but I didn't want it to be so short that it just distracts you and you're looking at their tan lines, you know, and I didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. And with 11, for for example, her battle outfit, um, those baggy jeans are a mix of a couple jeans that we used as a template, but the original pair is really wide. So her jeans are big in the show, but they would have been bigger had we not tailored them. So the biggest challenge is to make sure the fit is still appropriate and true to the 80s, but that it fits right for modern actors. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I love that outfit. I know that there was that Levi's partnership where you could get, you know, L shirt, you could get the jeans. And I went yeah. online and they were sold out in like two minutes. And then, you know, people were reselling them for like $300. And I was like, well, I don't have $300 for a shirt. Oh, I believe it. I actually got really lucky. I was in Chicago when that dropped. And so I went to the Levi's store one day after work and they still had it, luckily. So I bought the shirt and the pants, but the belt was gone. But um, I got to say, Levi's did a really good job of matching them exactly the way we built them and you know in tv you kind of never really see shoes or details below the shoulders practically so much of tv is on the face you know so we put this detail on the pants that you know the stitching with this batting that gives it some texture and before the script came out where 11 had that gash in her leg i was like we'll never see this and i'm torturing everybody by making them do it but it's so cool and then the script comes out and there's a gash on her leg and i was like this is great we're gonna see the pants we're gonna see the detail (laughs) And then Levi's made it and they kept it. So I think that just goes to show sometimes, you know, when your gut is like to make something that you're like, I just think this is worth it. Do it. It's worth it. 
when you went in the Levi's store and you were getting the shirt, were you like, I made this? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Only because they were talking about how well it sold and I just seemed probably really excited about it. And they were just like, whoa, why are you so excited? And then I told them. So Mills Hansen says, I love the scene where Max and Elle shop at the Gap. Can you describe your process of creating those fun outfits for Elle? That was fun. We did have that in the script that there was going to be a montage. And I think originally Max was going to change also. And then it just felt like, no, let's just have her buy sunglasses. And then Eleven can change clothes. So there is a real fitting room, so to speak, on that set where Millie could go and change clothes. So we knew that we'd need those changes to be fast. So in the fitting, we sort of just tried on a bunch of stuff and added accessories and went further than we would normally go for Eleven as an outfit. And then Millie would react and was like, oh, I don't like this or I love this. And I was like, use those reactions in the montage because this is how you would react when you're trying on clothes. You know, you're with your friends. Oh, I hate this. I love this. I think the reaction of an outfit that she didn't like might have been cut from the montage, but that was really fun to get to do, you know, just trying a bunch of fun, crazy outfits and then submit those photos to the Duffers and they picked kind of the, you know, four to five most exciting pieces and that became the montage outfit. I'm curious about that romper, the, you know, uh, very celebrated black romper with all Uh of the crazy patterns on it that you can buy at a Halloween store now. Was that just some fabric that you found and you were like, let's make Millie a romper? That was an original piece that I found at the beginning of prep. And it was one of those things where I was like, I have no idea what I need this for, but I know I need this. And looking back, I had a picture of it on my phone that I had taken when I found it just being like, I have to have this. So it came with me because I prepped in LA and I gathered stuff from, you know, vintage stores and costume houses and so it was in boxes that shipped to Atlanta and then when we pulled it out it was like I know this is going somewhere and then when that script came up I was like okay this is perfect for it so that ultimately became you know the outfit that she'd leave wearing the mall and it just felt so right was it the actual outfit or was it just like the fabric it is the actual outfit and there is only one so I mean now that Target's made them I guess we have multiples but um you know, there was a minute I thought I was going to need multiples for stunts or photo doubles, but we were able to eke by with just the one original, which is very securely coveted and um, in a safe place in screen gems. That's super interesting because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there was a debate amongst fans that some people were like, oh man, that's so outrageous. You know, that would have never been an 80s outfit. That's just over so over the top. And other people were like, no, it's perfect. It's perfect 80s. So yeah. we're like clearing it up. Yeah, it's original 80s. It has an 80s tag and it is from the period and it is very special. Have you ever been contacted by any costume designers or, you know, folks that have created some of the clothes that you've used that have become iconic looks? Um, I don't think so. Let me think about that. I mean, not anybody that directly was like, oh, I made that. But a lot of people that were like, I remember I had that in my closet or, you know, my mom wore this. So nobody specifically from those brands, but lots of, uh, you know, people that watched the show did. But it was a huge hit at Dragon Con. People loved it. They did. And I saw Hot Topic made it into a shirt. They had that pattern as a shirt. Um, Yeah. And then the Hopper shirts. I mean, it's incredible the amount of stuff that was reproduced. So Rachel C. wants to know, what was it like creating the Scoops Ahoy uniforms? Did the writers have a specific vision for them or did the costume department run with the nautical theme and come up with everything? They did have a specific vision. And when I was hired, that was one of the first things they mentioned. They were like, you know, this season doesn't have a lot of new characters, but we really want to focus on what Dustin comes home from camp in for his uh, Camp Nowhere outfit and then what Steve and Robin would wear, you know, working at Scoops Ahoy. And at the time, Maya Hawk hadn't been cast, so I didn't know who Robin was going to be, but I knew they wanted it to be a mix of like something appealing enough to watch all season, but something that's sort of goofy and embarrassing. And if he's trying to pick up chicks, what would he feel so silly wearing? So because that was so specific at the beginning, I knew to focus on the Scoops Ahoy outfit. And so I had some sketches drawn up by my friend Amanda, and we presented about four different options of Steve in that uniform. And, you know, one was a pair of pants, but then we thought shorts is better because it's summer. And one had a different hat, which we made up, but nobody really liked. And so there were a couple variations within it. But what was pretty great from the get go was I showed them the the sketches and they liked it from the beginning. So there wasn't a lot of changes once it was approved. Um, So that was pretty exciting to get to do. I love seeing fans of the show, you know, dressed up in those costumes. Yeah, it is amazing the amount of Steve's and Robin's as like a group costume or, you know, Hopper and Joyce. You know, it is so flattering and they do such a good job at recreating it down to the facial hair or the way, you know, the shoes are worn or the way the shoes were drawn on. It's so cool and so inspiring. Yeah, I remember right after the season aired, there was, I think, maybe San Diego Comic-Con was happening and there was already a little kid who was dressed up as Steve. And I thought, how did he whip that together? It's been like two days. (laughs) That's amazing. 
Chris G says, what was your proudest moment on the set of Stranger Things? Was there a piece of 80s fashion you couldn't get your hands on and found? Yeah, I think proudest moment was probably the carnival because that's near the end of the season where, you know, you really start to get tired, but it's so worth it to see what we created and to have such a a world of a real carnival where people would get off the side of the road thinking it was a real carnival. Like we had people trying to go to it (laughs) and we were like, no, no, it's not real. Sorry, even though it looks real and it practically was real. I mean, the rides worked and we had real ride operators and that was exciting. They would come into us and we, we actually put them in clothes. We fit the real ride operators. And we had real talented performers like jugglers and magicians that were also dressed in 80s and, you know, floating about the carnival. Um, I put a couple people in clown outfits. But I do think that my uh, most exciting thing to find that we weren't finding at first, when we built the mall, you know, the, the food court has uniforms from some real vendors like Burger King and Hot Dog on a Stick. And so we reached out to Hot Dog on a Stick and they recreated the uniforms for us because they don't, you know, sell them and you can't like find it. And it's changed since the 80s. So they remade them for us and let us borrow them, which was incredible. And then Burger King, I think we found our assistant costume designer, Karen Freed, found them online, you know, Etsy or eBay. And the 7-Eleven uniform, when they go to that 7-Eleven, that shirt was, you know, an original find from like Poshmark or something. So those little gems that you have to search for. But when you finally find them, it's so exciting. Or like Billy's jeans, for example, you know, Billy was established in a really great pair of jeans that looked good on him. It's a very specific cut from the late 70s, early 80s that Levi doesn't make anymore. So, you know, you have to search that specific code that, or you have to search that specific jean code online and hope you find it. You know, I would check every week or so just to see if it was online. And, and I ended up getting a couple multiples that way. But you kind of have to be persistent in that in that moment. So Hello Miss Heather wants to know, what was the easiest season three costume to come up with? And what was more challenging? Ooh, I guess the easiest would be Scoops Ahoy because it was at the beginning. And, you know, like I said, there weren't really any changes to the initial design once I showed the options. Most challenging might have been Eleven's battle outfit just because it is such an important outfit. And there is so much going on in the scene. And so much action and we would need so many multiples. So we did have a couple fittings. We even had a fitting with a fit model ahead of time just to kind of whittle down the options so that I wasn't torturing Millie with trying on, you know, too many, too many things. But um, I feel like, you know, once you know you have it, you feel good about it. You go to the directors, they feel good about it and then you can move on. So then we built like six pairs of those jeans and six pairs of, or six of those shirts. DeVree Marie Woodhouse says, which decade has inspired you the most? Oh, hi DeVree. She's one of the cosplayers that I've followed on Instagram that does some amazing Joyce cosplay. I think I'm inspired by all decades for different reasons, but I guess I am really inspired by the idea of the future because it's so unwritten and it can be anyone's choice what that's going to be. And who knows? We, We won't know. We won't be there, but it's inspiring to think about what the future could be. Alex Bernora wants to know, what was your favorite piece personally that you worked on from Stranger Things? Ooh, uh, I mean, that's hard because for every character I have a favorite. I, you know, like I think my favorite Lucas is the Karate Kid shirt. Um, I think my favorite Hopper outfit, which he doesn't wear many, is obviously the whole date night outfit where he's got the jacket, you know, collar popped. He's got the top cider shoes without socks, you know, and in his light Wrangler jeans. That's incredible. That Karen Wheeler bathing suit to me is just so iconic and she just rocks it so hard. So it's sort of, I have a favorite for everybody, but those, those stand out. Talking about Hopper's shirt, how did that fabric come about? Was that just like a piece of fabric that you found or did you guys create that? Yeah, we got lucky. We found some original fabric, which is always what you want. You know, it's hard to find dead stock fabric, but originally the Duffers wanted to go more in a direction of like an Indiana Jones look for him before we'd settled on the Magnum PI. So when it became more like of a Hawaiian shirt pattern, I had a shopper in LA sending me swatches. We had fabric from New York being sent and it was, most of it was new fabric, but there is a fabric store in Los Angeles called International Silks and Woolens. And they have dead stock fabric in the back, you know? And so I asked my shopper to just check with them, see what's old, see what they've got. And she sent me this one swatch of fabric. And I said, oh gosh, I hope they have enough. And they had over 20 yards. We bought it all and we had enough to make plenty of shirts. So it's real vintage fabric. 
That's interesting. You just used the term dead stock fabric. Is that fabric that's from, you know, previous decades that maybe people just hold on to? Exactly. Or it was manufactured and never sold, you know, so it's sort of just stuff that is still up for grabs and still out in the world. Oh, that's but cool. But it's old. Yeah. So Victoria Lyman says, was the Will the Wise costume created by you and the crew or was it something you thrifted? And then the second part of her question is, did the writing team give you any direction on what they believed Will would use to bring his D&D character to life? There was no exact description in the script. It was just that he was wearing his Will the Wise costume. And at the time, I don't think we had the sketch that he was drawing. So I didn't have a sketch to kind of work off of. So I just sort of thought, okay, let's imagine that Joyce makes this. You know, I think Joyce probably knew how to sew. This is something that a lot of people used to know how to do. And she's got two young boys who probably ripped their jeans. And so it probably helps that she would know how to like wield a sewing machine. So I can imagine she would have built that for him. You know, purple is very wizard, very magic, you know, celestial stars and, and little moons and stuff. So I imagine it's Joyce's handiwork, but we we did make it, and I just designed it from scratch. One of the things we noticed was in season two when the boys get together and they're all wearing the Ghostbusters uniforms. Uh I thought a nice touch that the costume department did was that, you know, Lucas, Mike, and Dustin, their costumes all looked very expensive and high-end. And Will's looked very homemade. Like it looked yes. very, it looked great, but you could tell that it was like, oh, you know, they're showing that Will is from a lower income family and that his mom is really working hard to give him the best of everything. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Me too. I think that was such a smart choice. And I think it's great when you can pick up on it. And sometimes you don't even notice it. It's subliminal. And that's kind of what you want. You don't want the costume to just like jump out at you. But then on second, third viewing, you're like, oh, I see it. You know, so I think they did a brilliant job with that. So Goody Two Shoes Vintage wants to know, they have a couple questions. First, they want to know what happens to all of the amazing clothes once filming is wrapped? That's a good question. It stays with us. Um, From season one and two, uh, we had a bunch of, you know, more like fall winter clothes. And so we had to buy a lot more for season three because we needed summer. So we inherited a bunch and then bought more. But um, we're running out of room. It's in a lockup at Screen Gems and we keep it for each season and nobody has access to it. But it's nice because it's sort of like our own little mini costume house. So if there is last minute casting or when we are ready to fit a bunch of background, we already have the clothes there. It's not like we have to start from scratch every time we need to fit somebody. How did the deal with Target to carry the line of clothing, including Eleven's romper cap? And do you know? I know that's a different department, publicity, but... Yeah, it is more like marketing. I don't think I knew right away that they wanted to use it, but I knew that Target was interested in creating some pieces, along with, I knew the the Karen Wheeler bathing suit for H&M was going to happen, and then the Levi's thing. When Levi's came in, they basically told me they were going to remake that last outfit, whatever it was. So that we didn't even know what it was at that point, to be honest. So sometimes it happens knowingly, but often it happens when I'm done and I don't even know it's going to happen. Is yeah. that like a real thrill? Is it, or does it catch you off guard? Are you like, wow, I, I made that and this person bought it and they're wearing it. It is. It's so surreal and it's so flattering and so exciting, you know, even down to those Funko pop dolls, you know, to see the little miniature plastic version of the clothes is so exciting. So every time I see it, it never gets old. Do you happen to collect anything? Is there anything as a designer that's out in the fandom that you want to just collect for yourself? Uh, I collect music, but from the show, I have collected at all the dolls because I was like what job am I ever going to have that has this many dolls made out of it so I do have all the all the pop dolls Cassie Carius says what was your typical day-to-day schedule like as a costume designer on Stranger Things oh every day is different but that's a really good question I mean the days are long and it's often early mornings but the best way to describe a typical day is you know starting in the office with crew and we sort of all talk about what's on our plate who's worked on something that needs to be talked about what still needs to happen. And then we go off and do it. And it can be days of fittings. If we're doing fittings for background, it can be days of fittings for principal actors. On this job, I don't often get to go out and shop, but I do that on the weekends. I have a shopper that is full-time during the week and gathers for us and collects. But, you know, it's such a busy week during the week that I usually, you know, spend a little time on the weekend to relax and then spend the rest of the time shopping because when I'm out in the world too I get to see pieces that are inspiring that maybe my shopper or somebody else wouldn't see so I like to still go out into the world but I can only do it on the weekends but it's a full-time job you know it is like nonstop. we've interviewed a lot of different crew members on the show um, and I come from a film family so I know what the hours are like and you know for example Amy Forsyth works 
a lot of hours. She's there nonstop. And Tina yeah. Loudon, the photographer, was like, well, I kind of make my different hours because it kind of is a, ver- a variety of what they need and when they need me on set. So yeah. when you're making wardrobe and you've decided what the costumes are going to be and you know what the kids are wearing for the day or what the cast is wearing for the day, is that something that is up for debate? Can it change? Do you need it, to be on hand in case something isn't working? It can change. Uh, every time there is a new outfit established on camera, I'm there on set to make sure it's kind of basically worn the way it's all intended to be worn. And then I hand it over to the set customers who do a brilliant job of maintaining that. They make sure to follow continuity. So if there's a new scene, but we've already seen the outfit, I don't need to be there, but they make sure it's worn to match the way it was worn the first time. And they just make sure that everybody's wearing what they should be wearing in the scene. But I'm always there to establish the new clothes. Have you ever done a screen test and and an actor was wearing something and you thought, wow, this looked great on them. It looked great when we made it, but it just does not look right on camera. Ooh, um, there has been times where that's happened with patterns because there's a certain way that fabric and the weave of fabric can react on on camera and depending on the type of camera, but tighter weaves like a herringbone can sometimes strobe. So we try to avoid that happening on the day by taking it to the DP ahead of time and saying, do you think this will work for your camera? And often they'll do a test for us. If it's fine, they'll give it back. But if not, they'll say, you can have it, but it's going to strobe. You don't want to use it. So We try to avoid that happening on the day by doing it ahead of time. Ego's Bleed wants to know, were there any costumes that were inspired by other 80s films or television shows? That is a good question. I think there are a few outfits, you know, like James Spader in Pretty in Pink, how he's sort of that douchey bad guy. We kind of use that as a model for the guy that shows up at the gas station that Hopper steals the car from. Todd? Uh, Yeah, the Todd father. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, you know, there's subtle influences like that. Uh, You know, a lot of John Hughes movies have great characters, but nothing super specific that I reference aside from, you know, these characters are already established as their own character. So it was just working off of what we've already seen from past seasons. I know that there was a lot of comparison when there was like a set photo leaked, which I hate, but of uh, Nancy Wheeler when she was going to work and everybody was like, she looks just like baby from Dirty Dancing. I know. I think with the hair and everything, I can see why they would say that. Nancy was such a fun collection of outfits to get to do. I loved all her clothes and all her dresses. As we talked about a little bit earlier, you've worked on some really amazing projects. Is there a show or maybe in a genre you haven't worked on yet that you'd like to? There's nothing immediately that comes to mind, but if I was going to like think outside of the box, maybe like if there was a live action version of Rainbow Bright, like as a Marvel character, I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't really think of anything at the moment. You got to make Sprite. I think it would yeah. look amazing. Yeah. What are some things that you're into right now in pop culture? And this could be anything. It could be a book you're reading, music, or maybe even just some TV shows that you're watching to kill the time. I do love music. I've been listening to music by Soccer Mommy. I've been listening to the new Fiona Apple. Um, I've also been using this time to um, become a better ally with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've just finished reading the book Between the World and Me by Tanase Coates. And, you know, watching shows like, I do like to watch some 80s shows um, and I'm watching Square Pegs. It's found on DVD. It's an 80s show with Sarah Jessica Parker and it's her just trying to fit in. That's so funny because Tori, my sister and I, we just talked about that on an episode a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, we were like Square Pegs, Square Pegs, Square Pegs. Yeah, that's a great show. That's I would definitely recommend that for any 80s fan. A great show, movies like Tough Turf, you know, just like bizarre movies that are just fun to watch. This brings up an interesting question. You know, you're someone who works in film. And like I said before, I have family members who work in film. And it's an interesting time, especially in Georgia, where Stranger Things films, because, you know, we can't we can't do anything. There can't be any work happening right now because we need to make sure that the community is safe. Right. And. Film people work all the time. I mean, you work six to seven days a week. Most of the time you work bananas hours. In one way, I imagine it's nice to get a tiny bit of time off, no matter what the circumstances are. But in another way, I feel like you are all probably just like chomping at the bit to get back to just having that something to do 24-7. Has it been interesting for you? It has been interesting. It's a different new normal to go from a, you know, roller coaster ride nonstop to suddenly just stop being, you know, um, it was really nice when it happened at the beginning, just to kind of like breathe and rest. You know, we had already gone so full speed at the beginning of season four and it just seemed like, okay, here we go on this ride. It's a marathon that you're just constantly running. But then to take that break was nice. You know, I, 
I've always kind of done this. So I haven't had like the life experience to like come home and cook because I'm always eating on set or, you know, like you don't have energy to cook. So you go out to eat or you pick something up on the way home. So to get to learn to like cook has been really fun. Um, just to do stuff around the house, be at my apartment because I have been traveling for work so much. And it's been nice to be at home and be in LA, but it is an adjustment to go from full throttle to completely stopping. So it is nerve wracking for most of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have a lot of teen listeners to our show and we're always trying to encourage them because we get a lot of emails that are like, how, how can I be on stranger things? And I'm like, look, I don't know. (laughs) But if there's some kind of career that you're interested in, I try to get them suggestions for what they can do to kind of make those dreams happen. So if there is a fan out there right now listening and they heard everything that you said and they feel like costume design work is for them, what are the steps that you would recommend to get them going in the right direction? That's a good question. I mean, I definitely think it's a lot of persistence and motivation. You really want to put yourself out there and let it be known that that's what you want to do. Because if you don't tell anybody, they just won't know. So I started by telling people what I wanted to do. And I had a friend who was doing music videos. And they said, hey, do you want to help? And it snowballed from there. You know, you just need to let people know that you're interested in doing this. And then you find the people that are in it. You know, you reach out to people that are doing stuff you like or shows that you enjoy. And you let them know you're interested. It doesn't mean they can hire you. It doesn't mean I could hire you on Stranger Things. It took a long time for me to get here. And I know this could be people's favorite show, but this won't be the show that's meant for you. I I would recommend saying yes to any jobs that come your way. You know, it's often annoying or frustrating to have to work for free at the beginning, but sometimes somebody might not want to take a risk on somebody that they don't know. So if it's no risk for them to have you work for free, you come in and you work really hard, they'll notice. And your name will go to someone else who will help you. Or a producer will see how hard you're working and want to hire you again. I think there's never not somebody watching and you're never not learning on every project you do. So start by saying yes to everything that you can. And maybe there's a job like an Uber or a Lyft when we do go back to normal that you could be doing to kind of make ends meet, pay rent, pay the bills, but then have the freedom to say, I'm available to PA for you tomorrow because I don't have a boss to tell me not to work. If you're your own boss, you know, like as an Uber or a Lyft driver or something, then you're available to take any gigs that come your way. You you also need the freedom to be available, which is hard. I started by working as as a temp and taking on jobs that would call me the morning of. And so I had the freedom to say yes to any freelance job that came my way. I would also suggest looking online. Maybe there's, you know, Facebook groups. I, at the time, this is my age. I was looking on Craigslist at sort of those TV film gig options. And I'd click on those and I'd find people that were doing small indie movies. And I'd reach out to them and see if they needed help. Or, you know, they would mention they're looking for a costume designer and I'd offer my services. Sometimes you pull clothes out of your closet or I borrowed my sister's wedding dress one time for a commercial. It's just kind of you have to be creative and think outside the box just to make it happen. But if you keep working hard, if you show up with a smile and you just keep at it, you're bound to go somewhere. And you're bound to go big. Do they need to be in the union? I know some departments have to be union members. Is it something that's required or just eventually you need to join the union? It is required for nearly every TV show and movie. Um, There are some commercials that you can do non-union, but it's basically, yes, a union gig. And you get in in a variety of ways. There's two different unions within costumes. There is the Costume Designers Guild, which I'm in as a costume designer that encompasses designers, assistant designers, and illustrators. That's uh, Local 892. Then there's also 705, which is the Costumers Union. That has people that are key costumers, shoppers, on-set people, coordinators, and many other jobs. They're under the umbrella of the designer and the supervisor, the key, those are all in 705. So for younger listeners that maybe want to do what you do, but they're not sure, like, what is my skill set? What are the skills that I need to learn? Is there a certain skill set they should, like, obviously they should probably start learning how to stitch, how to sew, but is there anything else that you would recommend they study? Yeah, I have asked people, if do I have to learn how to sew? And of course, you don't have to learn how to sew, but wouldn't you want to? You know, it's more like you don't have to do it, but it only benefits you. If you can sew a button on, especially if you want to be on set, you want to be there in case something happens. Little repairs like that, a little hand sewing doesn't go doesn't hurt to know. Um, sewing is really fun. So it's a fun thing to learn, but you certainly do not have to. But if you know it, it helps me. I know how to sew. It helps me understand how to um, communicate with my tailors. When I am asking them to make something, I kind of have a general idea of how long that would take to make. I wouldn't want to ask them to make something that 
couldn't be done in a timeline. So knowing that background helps to communicate with your crew. And I think if you work retail, it's really beneficial. I worked at The Gap, coincidentally, um, (laughs) when I was um, in school. And I found when you're working retail, when you're exposed to fabrics and textiles, you really learn how materials are made up, the content of clothing, you know, cuts, fits, style. That's really helpful is, you know, retail, something, maybe a fabric store so that you're, you know, around fabric often. Anything to do with art, anything to do like that's like visual, I think is really helpful. Yeah. I have a huge question for you. So every year we never dress up for Halloween. We only dress up for Christmas because we do our family holiday photo is basically just some movie we just we're the goonies or we're like whatever um and they look terrible because we're terrible at it but our Um, friends and family think it's hysterical because they're like that is the worst chunk (laughs) i've ever seen (laughs) but as someone you know who obviously knows what she's doing do you have friends and family that reach out to you that are like amy i'm gonna need an amazing costume (laughs) sometimes luckily i think they know i'm usually pretty busy so it's not like, can you make it for me? But sometimes I'll ask for advice. And I think the last few Halloweens we've been on set, I know last season, we actually, for Halloween season three, our crew all dressed up as, do you remember that Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country? And they all wore yep. red or like, you know, crimson and, and kind of purple. <laughs> so we all wore red together. You know, that was fun to do, but I had only the clothes that I had packed for Atlanta. So I think I went out that day and found some red thrift store pants and put like red tape on my shoes. So, you know, you can get creative and and not have to be an amazing costume every year. But um, yeah, I get asked advice every once in a while. (laughs) Um, Now your work, as I think we talked about a little bit earlier, but your work can be basically seen at every Comic-Con. There are, you know, uh, 50 Steves and Robins and (laughs) a million L's. And, you know, that must be really rad, would you ever, in a normal non-COVID-19 climate, consider attending a con? I feel like a lot of people think that fans only want to meet, you know, the talent. They only want to meet the the cast. But I found that fans are really interested in also interacting with crew and showing off their costumes and their designs or their hair or whatever. Is that ever something you'd be willing to do? Gosh, I think that would be so rad. I mean, that's so flattering to even be considered. So absolutely, you know, to see these people make these things by hand is so exciting. And to see it in person would be even more exciting. I would totally do it. I actually did go to my first Comic-Con during season three, our brilliant ager dyer, Bunny Wigglebottom, who's also a burlesque dancer in her um, downtime. Her and her partner, Paul, took me to Dragon Con during season three. And it was it was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Super inspiring to see how creative some of these people are. And I think at the time, there was only like a leaked photo, like you were saying, like a leaked photo from set that a paparazzi took of Joe as Scoops Ahoy. But it was only like the top half. He didn't have the shorts on or vice versa. Anyways, um, there was a kid dressed up like Steve. And I was like, can I take a picture with you? So I've only done that once. But um, I did have a photo with a really lovely person who dressed up like Steve. Yeah, that's amazing. I always wonder, I always wonder, you know, how interesting that must be because, you know, people will post there, especially the cosplayers that do it all of the time. They'll always tag you in it like, Amy, look what I did. Look what I have my costume. It's so cool. They do such a good job. I know when there was a big Stranger Things event that we helped host at the Jimmy Carter Museum last year, it was really cool because there was a costume contest, and we thought maybe like 100 people would show up to this thing, but 3,000 people showed up, and we're like, wow, Um, and I know that Kat was there, and some other people as guest judges, Karen Cisse, who plays uh, Mrs. Sinclair, And it was just crazy because one of the cosplayers who is a fan of ours um, dressed up as Dustin. And when Uh she walked by, you know, everybody was just like, look at the stitching on her shorts. Like she stitched it identically to the way that the wardrobe department stitched Uh it. And I was just. I know exactly who you're talking about. And she did such a good job. And Candace and Victor were there to help judge as well. And they were sending me photos from that day. And it was like incredible. I wish I could have been there. Yeah, there's, they're amazing. I think that's all the questions that I have for you. Really? Oh, my gosh. We did it? I think so. <laughs> so if someone does want to follow you on social media, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, I really only have an Instagram. I'm uh, 
Amy Paris, Paris with two R's. Uh, I don't do TikTok or Twitter or any of that stuff. So that's where they can follow me. Thanks again, Amy. It was really rad talking to you. And I hope that I get to meet you in person someday. Oh, me too. Thank you. Stay strange. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Upside Down Podcast hosted by Sisters Ash and Tori. For more information, visit our website at theupsidedownpod.com. You can also contact us at theupsidedownpod at gmail.com as well as follow us on our Facebook and Instagram under the Upside Down Podcast. Episodes are released every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe. If you love the podcast, be sure to review us on whatever you listen to us on. Thanks again. Stay strange.